is up, everybody? We are back again. Week. Everybody calls it week zero. I call it week one. I am very excited because college football is officially here. Uh, the big game today is Nebraska-Illinois. We'll get into that. We'll cover it. We're going to talk about our, our preview conferencing for the games. We're going to talk about the, the conference preview of the, the independence. I guess you call it a conference. Sure. It's not mm-hmm. really a conference. Sort of team outlook, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. So, and then we're going to – so we have recruiting, a little bit of some recruiting news. But as always, we're going to get into the amazing, epic intro that we have come up together with. So uh, my name is Alan. I am the host. That is Tyson, my co-host. We are uh, the fan section brought to you for fans, by fans, across the college landscape, from section 100 to section 300, from the bleachers to the suites. Welcome, everybody. Come on over to the fan section. It's the best seat in the house. Um, before we start, we want to ask you to like, subscribe, comment, leave us a five-star review. No five-star reviews this week, which is fine. Um, uh, no reviews, but we will read it on air when we do get it. And if you want to hit us up on Twitter, the fan section. And if you want to get into our mailbag, the fan section one at gmail.com. We so, are we are aware that our uh, our fan base is growing. We appreciate everybody yes, listening. We do. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think uh, a little shout out is due. Alan, officially a, a firefighter. Hey, congratulations! Thank you so much, man. Appreciate I know you work really hard for that. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's not like a it's not a full time. It's just a volunteer spot. Mm-hmm. But I'm with a, I'm a, with an affiliated department, which is a ton of fun. Can't wait. Just got done with the 24 hour shift. Loved it. Yeah, it's it's been a blast. Well, thank um, you for your service. Dude, in that no, way. no, thank you for your service as a former <laughs> Marine. So, um, having said that, we're gonna get into the recruiting stuff, right? Uh, so, a little bit about us. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of learned a little bit about that. You know, now I can say I'm a fi- officially a firefighter, which is awesome. You're a former Marine. Still, I mean, separate five forever, right? Like, once you are, <laughs> one, you're always one. Is that I think the thing. Um, but now, speaking of once you are someone, Travis Shaw. The defensive lineman, the five-star, is now officially a North Carolina Tar Heel for life. Like, the way that Mac Brown is able to swing him, he decommitted, he was able to pick him up. Um, I think it's a gr- – North Carolina is really making some headway mm-hmm. in the recruiting class. They're yeah. not really going up. Like, I mean, but I think a good year for them this year is char- trying to target a top 10 class, like, to be yeah. official. It's not – they don't want to be just this flash in the pan this year. We were talking about them in the previous, like, conferences – as the team to kind of beat maybe in the ACC. As far as what they put together on the recruiting trail, I think that that could be sustainable. You know what I mean? Like, they really have a lot of good momentum swinging. This year's only going to help, I think, based on their performance. And like I said, earlier in the recruiting, like, you know, I think it was like episode one or two, teams or a lot of players are going to see these teams start to play on TV now, and they might even actually be allowed to go to some of the games, unlike last year because of COVID. So, this this is so the recruiting is just heating up, and it's awesome because like once they see these teams play in action, then they really really start to love. But congratulations, Travis Shaw, big pickup for North Carolina, um, and that's really it for recruiting news. The top five haven't really changed; it's still the same. Um, but there there was some quarterback mix ups and some changes, and I'm gonna let you get get to that a little bit later, or you can we can tackle it now if you want. But I think if you want to just dive into the conferences, okay, and just we'll hit the independents, um, which is Liberty, Notre Dame, UMass, BYU, Army, UConn, and then uh, what's the last one? What's oh, New Mexico State. New Mexico State. Okay, yeah, perfect. So we'll dive into those like we, as we always do. Um, we'll hit. We'll give you our projections, what we think. I mean, there's really no winning the independent, right? Like you can't. Yeah, there's no conference champion. Yeah, so, but but it's it's very interesting in that they 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 don't have requirements of playing for example certain conference yeah. teams 
So you'll see some of these uh, independents have exceptionally easy schedules, and some of them have exceptionally difficult schedules. Mm. Uh, some of the marquee matchups, we've got the Holy War coming up next week. Yes. Uh, on, well, two weeks from now, September 11th, Utah at BYU. Mm-hmm. After that's a game I know you're looking forward to. Yeah, Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Uh, I, just because you, you have two very teams that should be perennial playoff contenders, mm-hmm. right? Like you would think this game has playoff implications, just like a couple other games week one, or sorry, week two, that are coming up next week, because this is week one, buddy. Um, as well as like Cincinnati, Notre Dame, uh, that's a big one. Army, Wisconsin, uh, and then you finally have North. If Notre Dame is able to come into this game undefeated, North Carolina comes into this game undefeated, mm-hmm. that's two what top six teams. I, I yeah. can't see Notre Dame and North Carolina not being in the top, the probably top seven, mm-hmm. right? I mean, re- respectively so, especially if Notre Dame take care of business against Wisconsin and Cincy. Yeah, that's a top five team. Yeah, Notre Dame has a. Outstandingly difficult schedule this year. It's really tough. If then uh, on uh, November twentieth, Louisiana against Liberty. A little bit off the board, but I think that both of those teams could very well be. If uh, if Louisiana can knock off Texas to start yes. the season, yes. they could both be undefeated and and probably ranked. Come yeah, that game, top twenty five game for sure. That uh, could be fun. Liberty is getting a lot of play because of Malik Willis. Uh, really, and and we'll. I'm really excited because I've been putting together this draft preview, and I'm going to go through all each position. I'm going to go the top five of each position, and for like that are draft eligible players sure. this coming year. So, and moving be great. is someone that I definitely highlighted as one of my top five quarterbacks to watch this year. So, moving on, uh, the record position. What we have is Notre Dame, Liberty, and Brigham Young, uh, all at ten and two. Um, and like once again, independents don't play each other in conference, so the con- there's no conference. Like they don't have to. Yeah, some of them do. Play some of them other. do play each other, but they don't like it's. It's not a conference, so it's not like oh, we want you know we we, we can't win. You can't win the independent. Right. Um, Army goes seven and five. New Mexico goes four and eight. UMass is at three and nine. And Connecticut we have going one and eleven. I think that's a stretch for them. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if they can even possibly win a game. Well, that's one of those teams we talked about before. They scrapped the entire 2020 season, yeah. and it's really hard to uh, overstate how devastating that is to a football program to yeah. miss an entire season when your competition did not. Just like Old Dominion, right? Same, like, same yeah. with Old Dominion. And UMass only played four games last year. Yeah. They went 0-4. Mm. So Yeah, so uh, and then how we have them kind of ranking up as far as the power rankings that you were able to figure out is you have Notre Dame – um, the top was it the 14th best team in the country? Yeah. Coming, like with mm-hmm. everything coming back and everything. Yeah. And Liberty is the 31st best team. Brigham Young is the 43rd. And the, a lot of people are going to be upset with us if you're a BYU fan. It's because you lost Zach Wilson. Really. Oh, there are very of, few teams that lost as much production on both sides of the yeah. ball as BYU did. Yeah. Um, so, it, but but they returned some talent. You they get do. get some players back from their mission trips. Uh, Absolutely. And so. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting. We have them going projected to go ten and two. Yeah, but uh, it's a great season. A ton of production turnover for Absolutely. BYU. Uh, so the offensive players to watch. We we've already I've talked. I can't talk about this kid enough because he's very exciting to watch. And if you get a chance on Saturday, it's like say it's like ten or eleven a.m. and Liberty's on. Watch number seven. Liberty's coming to play because of this kid, Malik Willis. He's who I think is going to win the. Or if if they if the independent had an t- offensive player of the year award to give. Malik Willis would win it. Like I don't mm-hmm. see anybody else in that in that quote unquote conference winning this award. Um, even Kyron Williams, 
But, like, as far as what Malik Willis brings to the table, the kids, he's potentially a first-round top-five pick for a reason, and those kids don't come around very often. You know what I mean? Like, so, just his ability, like, some of his stats last year in four games was, he was at 64, 64% completion rate, 2,200 yards, just above, just above that, 20 TDs, 6 interceptions. He did get sacked 19 times, but that's because of probably the offensive line in front of him. But he did make a lot of plays with his legs, and that offense is also very run-heavy. So the fact that he was able to put those numbers up in a very, very systematically run-only you know, offense, that's pretty incredible. There's a reason why he's getting all the hype, and he's got a cannon for an arm. So I really like him. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about uh, 34 all-purpose touchdowns, <laughs> 20 through the air and 14 running, I mean, that is outstanding. And last year, they played teams like Virginia Tech and, you know, some of the kind of the mid-level ACC teams. And yeah. So, you know, they weren't just playing, uh, you know, the, the directional schools. They, they have the number nine offense in the country returning based yeah. off of our metrics. Uh, and the, the running backs, Mack and Green, that he's got in the backfield with him there, they're going to be a real stout offense yeah. uh, moving the ball running. Absolutely. But you mentioned Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. And he is, they're going to really rely on him as they're replacing yeah. Ian Book with uh, Jack Cohn. Mm-hmm. They, they may pass the ball more. Kyron Williams is a bit of a weapon in the pass game. Yeah. Um, so we will, we'll, we'll see what Kyron Williams can produce. He had about 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns rushing last year. Yeah, and he's, the, he's on the Doak Walker watch list as well. Um, and then moving on to the defensive player that we've, we've highlighted, um, Notre Dame has, we understand they have a ton of talent. We're not trying to like hype them up, but Kyle Hamilton is definitely someone that's going to get some looks on Sundays for sure. Uh, and then for, for BYU, it's actually Keenan Pill, or sorry, Keenan Pili, uh, who came in with 90 tackles last year. And this is in eight games, and he also had one sack. So you want to see his sack numbers kind of go up a little bit, probably from like, you know, obviously more than one. You want to see maybe around like eight or nine. Um, that'll get him definitely in the running or the contention for potentially Buckus award. I'm not saying he's on the watch list for that because I don't think he's like as as good as Mike Rose, maybe Nate Landman, but he's still pretty solid as a linebacker. Um, Notre then, Dame Notre Dame has a very strong defense. Yeah, they have a lot, you know, quite a bit of uncertainty on offense, yeah. but on defense they really don't. They moved uh, Myron Tagovailoa Mosa to end, mm. and they only have one underclassman on defense. So there's going to be quite a bit of strength uh, in the box, and you might see teams try and throw over the top, and that'll really give Kyle Hamilton some opportunity to uh, sort of float in the outfield there, look for interceptions, pass deflections, et cetera. Absolutely. You talked about uh, Keenan Pili, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, I mean, 90 tackles is an astronomical number of tackles in eight games, but they only return 16% of their defensive production. Mm -hmm. So it's basically him. Yeah. That's basically what they're returning. They have number 24 offense uh, in the country. Look out also for linebacker Peyton Wilgar and the strong safety Chaz IU uh, to sort of make some noise as they're coming in to fill some of the shoes that that have moved on from last year. Yep, absolutely. So we'll get into the conference predictions. For like, We'll start with the top Army Black Knights. I like watching Army play, especially the Army-Navy game. I love, love that they... Only those are the only two teams that play on that Saturday mm-hmm. to kind of honor those recruits and, and let them know that we you know we still stand behind them. I think it's awesome. So they're returning actually really a lot of production on both sides of the ball, just under eighty percent for, for both. Jeff Monken coming in with his eighth year, good year for them as a bowling. You know what I mean? They're always obviously trying to go undefeated and they're winning the Commander in Chief Trophy. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think just Air Force and Navy might be a little bit too strong for them um, as far as. 
the talent goes. Tyrell Robinson, he's a it's a sophomore coming back, and then you have uh, Tyre Tyler. So a lot of these, they're they're not going to have very many passing yards. It's all going to be you know because of the triple option. And so it's like they're running stats. You know what I mean? You do. It is concerning though that your quarterback wasn't able to get a thousand yards in that in that option. Um, you want you want him to be kind of north about 800, 900 yards uh, on average a season. I think that's really solid, especially if you're running the ball. You know, nine out of ten times, pretty much um, every possession. So. Want to see him bump those numbers up? If he's able to do that, then Army might be able to make some noise. But I, I don't really foresee him doing too much. I think that they're gonna. I mean, they have a chance to maybe go seven wins for sure. But I, I don't really see. You know, for me, I don't think it's gonna be too much more than that. Yeah, Jeff Munkin has done a great job there. Uh, he he really has um, been impressive in how they're able to be consistent running that triple option. Yeah. Uh, one team that I know that you're high on. Uh, or relatively high on. They get in week uh, in week one next week. Uh, they play Georgia State. Yeah, and that I think I think you were talking about that game. I think if if they can win that game, then yeah, they're probably looking at maybe seven or eight wins. If they can't get past Georgia State, I mean, it just gets tougher from there. They yeah. they they're at Ball State and at Wisconsin in the middle of the schedule. Mm. They get uh, Air Force at home, finish the season at Liberty, mm. and then with that game against Navy, it could be. A little bit of a tough schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Tyler, you were talking about a quarterback. He so it, it's so interesting when you look at these teams, sort of the mil, the the military schools. Tyler Tyler was basically a backup running back last year. Yeah, pretty much. He yeah. really didn't. They had a different quarterback, yeah. and so now they're rolling him into quarterback. But really, it's a running back capacity, like you're talking about. Yeah. So I think they have quite a bit of talent in the backfield. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like you mentioned, Tyler L. Robertson. Uh, Robinson, he averaged seven yards per carry last year. Oh. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and then moving on, we have BYU, the Cougars. Uh, so the returning production, as far as what we have them ranked, it's dead last, right, for, for both sides of the ball. Their defense, we did hit earlier, it's coming back with 16%. Um, and so some players to keep an eye on as far as the, the offensive side of the ball, Tyler, Tyler Algier, uh, the sophomore, coming back with 1,100 yards, and then uh, receiver Gunnar Romney. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we highlight Akina Pili. Or Piley, I don't know how you say it. Um, mm-hmm. And then Peyton Wilgar, the sophomore, with 57 tackles um, coming back. So it's a very young defense, right? Like, uh, you wonder how the production of losing a first-round top-five pick in Zach Wilson yeah. um, will affect them. Uh, I think it's going to affect them a lot. Usually when you lose someone that good, it's, it's, you know, who's a man among boys who carried your team, who you just knew you had a shot and you were going to play your hardest for. That really does mentally come into play. Um, so I think a good year for them. I mean, but they still have talent though. Like, and their schedule isn't as hard as 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 we, uh, you know, as far as independents go, it's the second hardest. But as far as the rest of the world goes, yeah. I think it's pretty relatively easy, right? It's not anywhere close to Notre Dame's yeah, schedule. Yeah. I mean, they have games uh, week two. They got Utah, which is going to be a really tough game. They get Arizona State week three. They have Boise State in the middle of the schedule. Finish out at USC. There's a game sandwiched in there with Virginia yeah. and their former head coach Bronco Mendenhall. So I mean, it's a, a tricky schedule. It's not. It's not extremely difficult like Notre Dame's. Right. But you talk about um, the tight end Isaac Rex. He's a redshirt freshman coming back for his second year here. Mm-hmm. He had the second most receiving touchdowns in the country last year. Yeah. You know, he really exploded onto the scene. Nobody had really. Heard much of him, and I was reminded of something earlier this week. 
that for those of us out west who live in the Pac-12 footprint, for the first six weeks of the season, BYU's football was the only football we saw in that later time slot. Right. Because the Pac-12 wasn't playing. Yeah, nobody else was playing. And so we got a chance to see a lot of these guys, and I, I think that probably helped Zach Wilson's draft stock quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. But with him leaving, you you, you lose 30, almost 3,700 yards and 33 touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, that's a tremendous loss. They, they have this quarterback competition that, as far as I'm aware, they're still – um, sorting out. Jaron Hall seems to be the front runner, but Baylor Romney, his brother Gunnar Romney's wide receiver, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the new freshman coming in, uh, Jacob Conover, who's a four-star pro style out of Arizona. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I think you'll see a little bit of drop-off, but Kalani Sataki runs a tight ship there. You mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago about the uh, the Built Bar uh, sponsorship yes, for yeah, the walk-ons, the right? walk-ons. like that's that's the kind of program that Kalani Sataki runs. I mean, it's very um, very solid. It doesn't a change a whole lot, and he supports the players. Absolutely, and, it's, so. it's when people say it's a family. It's a mm-hmm. BYU really embraces that. This is our family. This is our friends. This is our our brothers, our sisters. Um, I mean, say what you want about you know the school itself, but the football team I think yeah. is, is is pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty spectacular. but a ton of turnover on defense. Yeah. It's gonna be very difficult to, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll spend the first couple of weeks trying to identify who those new players are on absolutely. defense. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Liberty Flames is coming up next. Uh, there, so they were ten and one last year, um, mainly because of Malik Willis, right? Uh, his ability to just take over an offense is insane, and we, we've mentioned it's a run heavy offense, so. Where would we be without mentioning Joshua Mack, who came in 139 carries, just under 800 yards, four TDs, and TJ Green is a junior from Utah. Um, and then on their defensive side of the ball, Javon Scruggs uh, with 69 tackles, two interceptions, and three forced fumbles. The returning production across the board is we have it ranked sixth in the nation. So there's a lot of talent. We're, we're not saying, like, oh, they can compete with Georgia or Bama. Or, you know, they might be able to for a quarter, yes. But in the sense of the Grants talent-wise, no, there's no Well, they finished number 17 in the polls last year. Yes. They're obviously a good team. They're a, very, they're a top 25 team, rightfully so. Um, and their strength of schedule is only going to help them. But their 3-3-5 defense, I'm really interested to see how that's going to play with Javon Scruggs. Him playing more, I guess, that middle of the field. And that dime look kind of is going to be interesting to see. Um, as far as their offense, though, I just can't speak volumes enough about Malik Willis. I think he's the kid's a stud, man. I'm excited for him. Yeah, I look forward to your draft profile on yeah. him. I know you get a lot more in depth on that <laughs> stuff, and and uh, your, your knowledge on that is pretty outstanding. Well, but, thank you, thank you. But yeah, Malik Willis in the backfield with Joshua Mack. Um, they were really tearing it up last year. Now you get uh, transfer running back TJ Green in from Utah. I mean, this team will be. Will rival Army and some of the military schools as one yeah. of the top rushing teams in the country, but <clears throat> but like you mentioned, I mean, you know, don't sleep on Malik Willis. You know, no. Um, after transferring from Auburn, he's got some throwing potential. Yeah. And something else to keep in mind is uh, this year three for Coach Hugh Freeze. A lot of people think he might be looking to make a jump back into the SEC. Uh, in case you forgot, uh, he had coached at Ole Miss from 2012 to 2016, yeah. but resigned in the midst of like some sort of escort services scandal or whatever yeah. and and um but and another thing to keep in mind i think it was two years ago you probably remember uh hugh freeze coached a game in a hospital from his hospital bed yeah do you remember that yeah, story yeah, i remember the story so i mean this is just a fun team to root for but yeah. between malik willis and sort of uh some resurrection stories and so we're looking forward to watching liberty play Absolutely. They, they have a uh, a very favorable schedule oh yeah uh and then moving on to mexico state aggies so 
what I mean, it's a very tough stake to schedule for them uh, as far as the talent goes back. We don't really know too much as far as, but they're because they didn't play last year, right? Like they don't. So we don't really know too much about the team, the makeup, as far as what they their identity of it. Because taking a year off, I'm really not expecting too much. And their strength of schedule for them is going to be very, very difficult. Juwan Price is someone to kind of highlight. Um, and then Trevin Brouard, Jr. Uh, but they had 13 transfers, and four, 13 transfers, and four of them were freshmen. So a lot can be said about, you know, just the unknown. Maybe they shock some people. Maybe they don't. I'm not expecting them to. Really, I'm not. But if they do pull an upset, say like, you know, I don't really, I don't know who they're playing as far as like the top game, but say they, you know, they schedule like a Notre Dame and they, they, they're able to make it a game. Cool. I would expect that out of a team that nobody really knows anything about. They get Alabama. Oh, okay. Well, finish, finish up the season, Alabama, Kentucky, Massachusetts. They play Nevada and San Jose State in the middle of the season. Remember, this is the team I told you, they play Hawaii twice. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So... And San Diego State early. It's a pretty tough schedule. Yeah, San Jose State's going to be tough for them. Um, and we've highlighted them you know, previous podcasts. But, yeah, New Mexico State, there's really not much to talk about, unfortunately. If you are a New Mexico State Aggie fan, hit us up on Twitter. Give us an email letting us know a couple other players that we missed for sure. Because we just don't know too much about them as far as them not – because they didn't play last year. So right. really, we don't have a, like a bar. Um, yeah, Jonah Johnson comes in as the JUCO transfer. You mentioned all the transfers and four yeah. freshmen. This is a team kind of like Michigan State. I don't know if you remember when we were talking about them. Yeah. Where I, I was saying, like, I don't understand what Mel Tucker's doing there because it's hard to establish an identity with so much turnover. Absolutely. And so uh, I, I would say they, they their first game of the season is UTEP. That is a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Uh, our numbers have them winning that game. They get them at home. Got to win that game. Uh, Doug Martin is going to be an interesting experiment in year four for him. Absolutely. Moving on, we got Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, a team that probably I've, I I always say every year they're overrated, uh, but this year they they can definitely prove me wrong. If they go undefeated in the schedule, then I'll be like, okay, these guys might be for real. Um, they do have the hardest strength of schedule, um, which, like I said, if they do, if they go undefeated, then I'll, I might turn into a believer. But I, every year I just don't think they belong. You know what I mean? Because they're able to kind of get through every year. If they go undefeated, they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think that's fair. It's very much like Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Like like you kind of aren't surprised when they make it there, yeah. and then they just fall on their face. Like yeah. the, the difference between Oklahoma and the next level, like, yeah. you know, a, a Clemson, a Georgia, a, a Ohio Bama, State, yeah. or a Alabama, it's just, it just seems insurmountable sometimes. Yeah, and absolutely. I put Notre Dame in that same class with Oklahoma. Right. Yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get in the playoffs. Like, I think them going – it's playoffs or bust for them at this point, which is good. That's a really good tradition and culture to establish under Brian Kelly – coming to his 12th year, and I thought he was actually on the verge of being fired a couple years ago because Notre Dame had a very, very down year. He was. Um, he, you know, Michigan's kind of doing what Brian Kelly did then. They, they were down, yeah. and he basically scrapped the entire coaching staff and yeah. rebuilt, and it obviously worked. Yeah. And so Michigan's hoping to fi- follow that model with yeah. Harbaugh and yeah. his uh, – and his team as well. Absolutely. And we've highlighted Kyron Williams, uh, but a couple other players to keep an eye on as far as their lineman goes is uh, Jarrett Patterson and Kane, Mc- Kane Madden. Um, Kane Madden transferred from Marshall. He's just a monster. Definitely belongs on the Notre Dame front front four. Or front five, sorry. And then uh, Kyle Hamilton is the safety. And then they, some notable games we highlight again, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, UC, USC, and North Carolina. USC's a robbery game. And then they do play a couple other rivalry games, I believe, later on in the year. Yeah, so they lost four starting offensive linemen. 
Um, and and that that equates to about 140 starts that they lost on their yeah. offensive line. Yeah. That hurts a lot. Really, the only pillar returning from that group is Jarrett Patterson. You're, you're right. The left guard, Kane Madden, transferring in from Marshall. They're hoping that will help. Yeah. But you've got a new quarterback in after losing Ian Book, Jack yeah. Cohn, who really had uh, a, a pretty solid season in 2019, 2,700 yards, passing 18 touchdowns, only five interceptions, uh, transfer him from Wisconsin. But a lot, of, a lot of questions on offense and really the only kind of reliable certainty on offense is <coughs> Kyron Williams at running back. Yeah. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, though, they're they're pretty solid. They they, they only return off, on both sides of the ball. They only return the 123rd most production. Huh. So a ton of turnover. It's going to be really uh, interesting to see how they navigate the schedule. You mentioned the the slate: Wisconsin, Cincinnati, <laughs> USC, North Carolina. Those are all top 15 teams in the country yeah, right and now. They play USC right after. They play USC and then North Carolina back to back. Right. So that's yeah. going to be a, it's going to it's going to be difficult. The numbers have them going 10 and 2 yeah. with a loss to Wisconsin and a loss to North Carolina. Yeah. Um so they're they're an outstanding team, but they have a very very difficult schedule. Right. And then moving on to UConn Huskies who didn't play last year. So taking a year off uh, unfortunately like as far as, you know, we don't really know too much what to expect. I think them winning a game this year is uh, going to be a victory for them. Um, in the sense of they just don't have necessarily the talent coming back both sides of the ball. After losing a year, coming back for missing a full year is going to be very, very difficult. Um, but Jack Zagotis is uh, their, their guy to watch at quarterback. 1,700 yards, 9 TDs, 11 interceptions, 21 sacks. So you want to see those numbers definitely improve. Uh, as far as completion rate, you want him to get, get up near 65%. I think that would be a big bump for him as coming into his junior year. Um, and then you can talk about maybe being able to, you know, Somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, maybe. Um, but if he doesn't, if he stays like that, he'll be an undrafted. You know, if he chooses to, to go to the next level. Uh, yeah, as far as Omar Fort, the linebacker, sixty nine tackles. Kevin Mensah is there. Is there probably their best player coming back on offense? A thousand yards, nine TDs, two hundred twenty six carries. So he's a senior uh, coming back as a, I think a fifth year or super senior because of the COVID. Uh, um, so yeah, excited for him, but really I feel bad for him at the same time. Yeah, I thought the same way when I was looking at this stuff. Uh, Kevin Mensa is is a is a good talent, yeah. and he probably wasn't too far off of the uh, draft boards in 2019. But no. they don't play in 2020. They yeah. have a ton of players who either transfer or have just decided not to play football anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real difficult situation for Randy Edsel in year five. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but. Connecticut was in the American Athletic Conference ever since the Big East expanded. And basically what happened last year is Connecticut decided that they weren't going to play football. And the American Athletic Conference, well, every other team in the American Athletic Conference played like eight to ten games. And so ultimately they decided, well, if you're not committed to football, you're out. And so now Connecticut's an independent team. It's... Shocking, considering how good their basketball program is, but yeah. they they their football program is in real real disarray. Yeah. They have a game week two uh, at home, Holy Cross, and later in the season, uh, week nine at home against Yale. Mm. You would think they would hopefully win both of those games, <laughs> so probably two and ten is the cap. Yeah, they also get Clemson, UCF, um, Fresno State, so. It's a kind of a middle of the road schedule, not a yeah. super difficult schedule, 
but um, but they're, they're they're really in disarray. Yeah. Uh, moving on next to the Massachusetts Minutemen, uh, they have that famous walk that come down the hill a little bit. I like that a lot. Uh, head coach Walt Bell coming into his third year. Uh, the starting schedule is the uh, ranked fifth as far as the independents go. Uh, Tyler Lytle and Josh Wallace are two players. Didn't Lytle is that transfer from, from CU, CU right? Yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah, um, former three star from CU. Yeah, so you know you excited to see him kind of get a chance to take over the helm a little bit. Uh, Ellis Merriweather and Kieran Adams. Uh, Kieran Adams transferred from Rutgers, so we'll see them. Uh, as far as UMass goes as, as a team, they, they just really come together. They do have some solid talent. It's just the problem is I don't feel like it comes all at the same time. You know what I mean? Like when they're on the field, one player might flash, and then the next player might flash, and it's just like they can never be, get on the same page until like the last series of the game. And they're like, oh, we have some momentum for next week. Cool. It, it, it never pans out. So you just feel bad for them as far as – they just can't always seem to be on the same page. And, you know, losing last year, uh, you know, only being able to play four games. Um, and losing all of them. Losing all of them doesn't really help them when coming in this year. But, you know, just definitely rooting for them to, you know, at least get a couple wins. But I don't, I don't really foresee it. Yeah, a lot of inconsistency and turnover yeah. on both sides of the ball. Tyler Lytle comes in, and he, I mean, to be honest, a three-star. He is a sophomore. He probably is... One of the better quarterbacks that they've had in Massachusetts. Yeah. But I remember from him playing here at CU, man, he was real inconsistent with passes, uh, really really risky, really took a lot of chances and risks. Um, and so I, I don't know if putting their future on him is really going to pan out in the way that they think it will. Yeah. Uh, Walt Bell in year three has it cut out for him here. They went 1-11 in 2019, like you mentioned, 0-4 last year. Yeah. Um, their schedule is not terribly difficult. They do get Connecticut at home. Yeah. They should probably win that one. They also play later in the season Rhode Island and Maine. Yeah. The numbers have them winning those three games. Well, Maine they, should be a win. Yeah. They, they also play New Mexico State. So that one, you could – top end is probably four wins. Because they also get Boston College, Coastal Carolina, Florida State, Liberty. I mean, they've got some games that they just can't win in the schedule. But but they could be as high as 4-8. and eight. The numbers have them 3-9. and nine. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. Absolutely. So then uh, moving on next, we have – oh, that's it, actually. So yeah. as far as the – the games today, we've got. We're going to highlight some of that um, as far as the. Well, I wanted to jump into, if you don't mind, just real quick. No, no, no. We had some news. Five teams have now officially announced their starting quarterbacks okay. for the 2021 season. Perfect. The first being Texas A&M announcing Haynes King will be starting. Okay. We've talked about them quite a bit. Uh, they have a tremendous defense. Here's the keys to the Ferrari. Don't crack right, it into exact, the wall. That is exactly. It's yeah. it's very similar. To what Alabama's doing with Bryce Young. Yeah. Saying, listen, don't screw it up. Yeah, pretty much. A&M, I, I told you, they've got that game in the middle of the season, Alabama at home. If they can win that one, the rest of the schedule really shapes up nice for them. And, I listen, don't be surprised if you have an SEC championship game, Georgia against A&M, and both of those teams make the playoff. Do not be surprised about that. Well, that means both would have to come in undefeated, hopefully. <laughs> no, no. I think one loss. If both have one loss, they're in. So, oh, okay. Like, if Georgia if Georgia wins out and A&M yeah, beats yeah, them, yeah. In the, or if A&M wins out and Georgia beats them. Yeah. So, so that'll be interesting. Uh, another one, uh, Utah. You know the numbers are really high on Utah. Yep. They've officially decided Charlie Brewer from Baylor. The Baylor transfer is going to be the starting quarterback. We've known that one for weeks. Yeah. Texas Tech announces that Oregon transfer uh, Tyler Shook is going to be the starting quarterback. 
Kentucky announces um, Penn State transfer Will Levi's will be the starting quarterback. And we just talked about Notre Dame. They've officially announced, and we've known this for weeks as well, that Wisconsin transfer Jack Cohn will be uh, will be starting at quarterback. Yeah. And so, yeah, before we jump into just sort of the preview of a couple of games, we're sitting here and we're watching college game day, man. Are you excited? I'm, I'm getting pumped for it. Like, it was cool before we sat down, we saw them doing their – the, the four of them doing their conference predictions, and they what, only Lee had Georgia winning the SEC. Mm-hmm. Everybody else had Bama, so that's not good. If because the he always picks the wrong hat, <laughs> and that's I'm very nervous for him picking Georgia against Clemson yeah. because they always lose when he does that. Um, but in other news, yeah, they had Clemson winning the ACC, and they you know Ohio State winning the Big Ten, which you know I, I think you know I don't think they're ever really like. Far off in their in their guesses for sure. Yeah. Um, but well, moving into the the games itself, I, Alcorn State plays today. Yeah, they're on site at Alcorn State against yeah. North Carolina Central. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are going. What is this? This or the other? They're they're trying to highlight a couple of HBCU yes. programs. Which for those of you who are uninitiated, it's historically black colleges and universities. Yeah. We're going to talk about a couple other games today. There there isn't, as far as I can tell, there isn't a single team playing today in FBS that had a winning record last year. So I, I don't want to hear any crying about, oh, they should be at Nebraska, Illinois, or whatever. Like, come on. This is fine. i just going to give you 10% of all Hall of Fame players come from HBCUs. Come from HBCUs. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a quick list of some of those names here uh, from HBCUs. Deacon, Demon Deacon Jones, Sweetness Walter Payton, Jerry Rice, greatest receiver in NFL history, right. Robert Mathis, the defensive back, Michael yeah. Strahan, Shannon Sharp. We probably both remember Steve McNair at Alcorn yes. State, yes, I do. Dominic Rogers Cromarty, Donald Driver, the Green Bay wide receiver, and Antoine Bethea. There's currently 18 uh, HBCU players in the NFL right now. Yeah, and they're they're probably pretty good. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, and then uh, as far as like yeah, Boise State plays UCF. Uh, that'll be fun. I think a lot of fun that's games. Thursday. That's mm-hmm. thir- that's this Thursday. So. Um, if you're if you're bored on a Thursday night, definitely tune into that game. Um, but moving on, we have the the big game of the week is uh, Nebraska Illinois. I think it's only the reason why it's the only the game of the week is because it's just these two big name programs mm-hmm. outside of everybody else that are highlighting. And like I said, it's not week zero; it's week one. If you want to argue, don't because this is the first week of college football. That's number one. So head to head, Nebraska is forty two and thirty eight against Illinois. Uh, I'm picking. I'm picking Nebraska. I really am. I think that they're going to roll Illinois. I don't think Illinois has a, ch- a shot in hell in this game. Honestly, I, I just. I, I, we talked about the Big Ten previous, um, as far as like what our outlooks for them, and I don't think we had Illinois as very good in the sense that they have some players. They just don't have. I think what it comes. This is Scott Frost's game to lose. Basically, like he has to win this game. Uh, the cool thing is though, it's being played in Dublin, Ireland. Um, or Champagne, right? So it was originally scheduled for Dublin, yeah. but because of COVID stuff, whatever, okay. it's like it's going to be in Champagne. That's a uh, 11 a.m. today Western time on yeah. Big Fox. Okay, perfect. So I thought it was going to be in Dublin this whole time. That's my fault. Um, yeah, I know they recently rescheduled it. Stupid, but that's good for Illinois. They get a home game. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, so yeah, uh, Nebraska's favored. Um, and then we have uh, Adrian Martinez, who's coming in with uh, just under 60%. You want to see him kind of take over the game today to put up some numbers. No interceptions for this kid today. If he does throw an interception against Illinois, then it's going to be a very long season, I think. It shows he hasn't really matured, moved on. 
um, and understood the progressions that the, he has to fit in that offense. Marquis Stepp is a USC transfer running back that, um, and then they have to replace Wandale Robinson. Um, I, I really don't know who's going to step in. Is it Tour? Is it going to be somebody else that we haven't heard of? It, you know, a freshman maybe. Um, and then as far as their defense goes, Ben Still is going to is the heart and soul of that defense. They're going to go as he goes. Get some pressure up front early. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you know what Brandon Peters can do if if you know Big Ben Still is coming at him honestly. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um... The, uh, Illinois has all senior offensive line. They've got some real continuity there. Yeah. Uh, so that'll, that'll be an interesting matchup to watch uh, Illinois' offensive line against uh, Ben Still in that defensive line. Brandon Peters, the transfer from Michigan, uh, you know, it really has not proven a lot. This is year one for Brett Bielema at Illinois. I'm not entirely sure that he fully knows what he's getting into here. <laughs> This is a program that Lovey Smith really left down yeah. in the dirt. Yeah. Um, they do have some bright spots. Wide receiver junior uh, Brian Hightower uh, coming back after 209 receiving yards, three touchdowns. <clears throat> and then the sophomore linebacker Calvin Hart Jr., uh, who has transferred in from North Carolina State. They only returned 61% of their defensive production, though, and they have the second toughest schedule in the Big Ten. Yeah. I, I – the Vegas has Nebraska winning this by seven mm. with an over-under at 55. I think 55 is probably about right. You're looking at like 35-21 in, in that sort of ballpark. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. I, Nebraska should win this by more than seven. Yeah. Uh, if they don't, it's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to the next game, uh, as far as the slate today, UCLA-Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii did their, their famous, they all link arms and they walk across the field together. They walk 100 yards and then they, they walk back. Um, so just a little tradition there for them. They did that at UCLA today. Um, and then UCLA's favored. Chip Kelly needs to win this game, I think. I'm not expecting him not to lose. I mean, it, it, to be fair, UCLA should roll him. Um, as far as the... The players go, they have the second most returning production in the country, but they do have the hardest strength of schedule. We hinted that in the Pac-12 conference preview as well. Um, but Kyle Phillips, Greg Dolchich, and, and Dorian Thompson um, are definitely going to be the players that take over this game for sure on offense. And then for defense, Quantrez Knight and Michelle Goody. Um, yeah, it's just like UCLA over, overmatches Hawaii for sure. Yeah, these, uh, these teams have only played uh, three times ever. Yeah. 2017, UCLA won 56-23, <laughs> and then the previous two times were 1938 and 1935, both won by UCLA. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty big on Hawaii's defense. You know I like that Darius Masao. Yeah. He's, he's first team all Mountain West. I think he could be the defensive player of the year in the Mountain West. Yeah. He's, he, I, I have a lot of faith in him. You know, we've been waiting for several years now for Dorian Thompson-Robinson to really take that next step yeah. and become... Uh, you know that that strong quarterback that uh, Chip Kelly is is used to having, like right. he had in Oregon days. Well, and he's stuff supposed like to that. be this developer of quarterbacks. Right, it's like one of those things where if he can't develop this kid, he's had for over four years. Well, he's so been like, right in between about sixty to sixty-five percent, yeah. and in you know four to six, seven interceptions a year, yeah. and that's just not, not making much of an impact. No. On the defensive side, though, UCLA does bring in Quantrez Knight, as you mentioned, the yeah. transfer. Uh, two years ago from Maryland, yep. and then they have the defensive end uh, Mitchell Agrud. The, they're going to they're going to be um, important as Chevin Cordero, the quarterback for Hawaii. He's a real gunslinger. Hawaii yeah. has always been that way. You yeah, remember vertical uh, offense, spread, spread him out. You remember when Colt Brennan was there? Yeah. And God rest his soul. He just recently died. Um, but so 
the JUCO transfer, uh, Calvin Turner, um, comes in. They're going to move him around a lot in the backfield for Hawaii. Yeah. And, and they're going to try and sling it. They have a decent defense um, and an outstanding player, like I said, in Darius Masao. I think this will be an interesting matchup. The Vegas line has him UCLA favored by 18. What do you think about that? I think that that's probably – it should be 21, personally. I think UCLA yeah. is going to beat him by 21. Um, this is a tune-up game for UCLA before they play LSU. Can can UCLA get? I'm not expecting them to beat LSU, but I'm expecting them to have competitive game. You know what I mean? In that sense, this is just one of those week one matchups. It's a tune-up game. That's all it is. Yeah, or might they be overlooking Hawaii? I it, hope not. If they are, then they're going to lose. It could, <laughs> could be. It could be a trap game. Yeah. Uh, another interesting point: this game's to be played in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. First time fans are allowed in the stadium it's since 2019. Loud. It's going to be loud, and fans are excited. I mean, if I, they're probably tailgating right now, and it's like. Five in the morning out there. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. It'll be it'll be really awesome. So, so just a couple games to highlight there. We'll have a lot more on the next podcast, obviously, as we get into what everyone else calls week one, but Alan calls week two. Yeah, I call. Yeah, it'll be week two because uh, everybody. Yeah, I just don't understand why they just couldn't call week one week one. Uh-huh. Um, and then, did you want to? So we're going to get into these what we call realignment scenarios, right? And we talked about this. It because, you know, and it's all because of the news, like recently, right? This last week, and I think a little bit of the week before, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC are like, we're going to announce an alliance. And Pac-12 is like, you know what, we're Oregon, no, nah, we're going to schedule LSU. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, we're only going to play these schools mm-hmm. is what I was kind of on the understanding of it. It didn't make sense to me when Oregon scheduled LSU right after they made this announcement for the alliance. So I was like, okay, yeah. well, clearly Oregon's doing their own thing. So we're going to do our own thing, and we're going to say, okay, out of all the teams that are leaving the conference, which teams are available and that should be in these conferences? So having said that, I'll let you kick it off with who you think should stay in one. So there's a handful of teams that we were looking at. Really, I kind of drew the line. When we, when we look at these teams as far as being enticing to be picked up, um, any any athletic department program that brings in less than sixty five million a year, no none of these conferences are going to pick up the Pac twelve, the Big Ten, SEC, or the ACC. Yeah. And so that leaves us, I believe, this is a list of fourteen, and um, the number one uh, sixty five plus million dollar a year program is Notre Dame, and they bring in. Let me see if I can get to that. <laughs> they bring in quite a bit more than sixty five million a year. Yeah. What is it? Ninety. 85 or 90 million. No, 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 no. They, they bring in, oh, I don't have them listed there. I mean, they're, they're going to be well over 100. They're like 100 and 150 million or something like oh, that. Wow. Okay. But that's, you know, you, you, you've you told me already, uh, as we were talking about some of these scenarios, that. Um, oh, 150 million, yeah. 150 million, that, that Notre Dame is just not, they're not going to get picked up by a conference. Well, I think that they will be asked, but Notre Dame has never wanted to. They like that with us against the world type tradition. Mm-hmm. They need to join the ACC. They really do. It makes the most sense logically. It makes the most sense financially. It brings the ACC up to that perennial, for sure, top five power conference, because then you have Clemson, you have Notre Dame, you have North Carolina, now with this recruiting Miami. in Miami. We got to look at it last year in the COVID season. They, they did play with uh, the ACC. And, and and Notre Dame can still find a way to schedule these these rivalry. And I think a big reason is because of the rivalry games that they have. Mm-hmm. USC, Boston College, 
to, to name a few, Boston Stanford. College. Stanford, yeah, exactly. So you can still find a way. It's like, you know what, every other year we're going to play these teams. Or, or we can do a USC for sure every year because we hate them. We want to beat them. And then we'll do Boston, we'll swap Boston College and Stanford. You know what I mean? Like every other year we'll play. Uh-huh. That'll make the, you still have the rivalry, but I, I just think that it's time for Notre Dame to join a conference. It really is. Especially with 2023 coming. Yeah, but they're not going to do it. And we know that they're not going to do it. And even if they do do it, it's, you're right. It's going to be the ACC. It won't be the Big Ten. Yeah. I mean, their, their current national TV contract they have with NBC is to broadcast all home games. It, it doesn't expire until 2025. It pays out $15 million per year. Jesus. Non-football sports are competing in the ACC, and the ACC pays Notre Dame $7.9 million a year. Yeah. The college football playoff, I didn't know this until recently, they actually do pay independent programs uh, for remaining independent. Oh, wow. They award, they award a base amount so, to independent yeah. teams. Obviously, Notre Dame makes the dramatically the most. And if Notre Dame takes one loss or goes undefeated, they're in it every year. So then why well, this is, I'm saying this is whether they make the playoff or not. Oh, okay. They get paid this whether they make the playoff or not. Wow. Well, so, yeah. the, so the college football playoff pays them $5.8 million per year whether they make the playoff or not. They get, obviously, additional pay if they make it, yeah. more if they, if they uh, win the game yeah. or win the national title. Right. And they don't have to do revenue sharing. Like other teams yeah, do in it. conference, yeah. so we're talking twenty-eight point seven million a year that the Notre Dame athletic department's bringing in, and that doesn't even include television broadcasts for the road games, any of the bowl game payout, or or uh, sort of some of the um, yeah. uh, uh, other sports, other uh, you know basketball, NCAA well, tournament payouts, or season tickets. Yeah, at yeah. all. I would say a good, a good portion of that money, though, from football pays for. A lot of the other sports. Of course, yeah. And a lot of the other facilities. Yeah, the only revenue positive sports at Notre Dame are football and men's basketball. Yeah. yeah. And men's basketball is probably pretty close. I think they're pretty solid, too. Uh, yeah, so the, the payouts, though. Big Ten is getting uh, 53, just just under $55 million. The SEC is at $45 million. Big 12, 37 to 40 million, depending on you know the type of year that the teams have. 33.6 for the Pac-12, and then 30 million to 37 million to the ACC, and that's probably based on Clemson winning the national title, right? Like it will fluctuate mm-hmm. between that. But the total revenue is where like that's what's where things get interesting as far as everything coming coming together. 768 million for the Big Ten, 728 million for the SEC, 533 million for the Pac-12. 496 million for the ACC, 409 million for the Big 12. So if you want someone to kind of write you a check for free food for the week, you're going to go to Big 10 or SEC. You know what I mean? Like, I, just the money that they have is just incredibly insane. Yeah, well, and so you're going to see right here, this is obviously exactly why the SEC reached out and picked up Texas and, yeah. and Oklahoma. You see total revenue right there. The Big Ten last year brought in uh, almost $40 million more yeah. than, than did the SEC. Crazy. And if I can get to my numbers here, I can briefly explain why. So you look at uh, Oklahoma and Texas joining sort of regionality. We're looking at a map right now. Yeah. But the uh, the member revenue average, so that's the revenue share average, just by Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, for for all the teams in the SEC, they're going to make $10.5 million more million a year. The total conference revenue is going to go up by a half a billion dollars just yeah. by those two programs joining the SEC. So that's going to put them ahead of the Big Ten. And then from the school's perspective, each of the schools, Oklahoma and Texas, by way of them revenue sharing with Georgia instead of TCU, yeah. they're they're going to each of these schools is going to make almost forty million more dollars their athletic department each year. And you wonder, like, if obviously since we know this. I'm sure that the athletic director for each school knows uh-huh. this. If you're Florida State or Miami, are you considering joining the SEC? 
I think absolutely. Why wouldn't you? If you're, I mean, all this money is on the line. You're able to do that. Even Georgia Tech like might reach out. Like potentially, the ACC could be dead. You know what I mean? Like if if they're not able to make some of these big moves and pull in some of these schools, mm-hmm. if you're those three schools, I mean, Georgia Tech that makes the most sense. You know, map wise. Florida State makes the most sense. UCF makes the most sense. Miami makes the most sense to join the SEC. Why wouldn't they? And why hasn't this happened yet? Well, that's so. That's why they obviously tried to do this alliance thing. Yeah. Which I mean, I think nobody still knows what the hell that even right. means. Yeah. But um, but if we're looking at the teams that would then be available in sort of scenario one with this yeah. alliance now and Pac-12 announcing they're not looking to expand, scenario one is probably the most likely, which is that the Big Twelve rebuilds. Yeah. So the the ten team model would be actually uh, the Pac twelve have twelve programs mm-hmm. no no more than that but they might actually probably pick up a few I think they should they've announced that they won't I agree I think they should but yeah but they won't Big Ten well they say they won't for now uh, we'll we'll put a pin right. in that one Big Ten will be at fourteen ACC will be at fourteen SEC will be at sixteen so this is what I kind of going back to what I just said about the ACC it could be dead if they don't pick up some programs this is based on that right um, football basketball are going to be big. It's it's just how it is. It's not it's nothing against the other sports. It's just those two sports bringing the most money mm-hmm. and revenue. Um, so the consideration for Big Twelve is losing you know Texas and Oklahoma. How are they going to replace you know upwards of three hundred million dollars? Yeah, that I mean that's upwards of four hundred million. Yeah, a year. Well, yeah, pretty much right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be SMU. Do they pick up SMU, BYU, and Houston, and then they're going to have to pick up a fourth team? I mentioned the CSU. They don't bring in nearly as yeah, much. Yeah, well, so right? I think those are no-brainers. You met, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the Big 12 is losing $400 million a year in athletic department revenue. That is massive. You mentioned earlier the 10-team model is not going to work for the Big 12 no. anymore. They're going to need at least four teams to replace this at revenue least. that they're losing. I, I agree. I think SMU, BYU, and Houston make the most sense. Yeah. Each of those programs bring in more than $70 million a year. Right. But that fourth team... Uh, did you want to take a look at like what are some of the teams that might be in consideration regionally? Yeah, and so, then we'll look at what their uh, revenues are. So I mean, the the consideration for the Big Twelve, if they want to stay alive, they need to reach out to Air Force, Colorado State. They need to reach out to all these teams. I mean, if they we're just looking for one, mm-hmm. you could probably pitch Air Force. The I think probably teams. wouldn't you think all these teams want to be in the Big Twelve? They, yes, you especially think so, Memphis. Right? Like it, Memphis is on the cusp of being really a probably legit team, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. if you tell them, you're telling recruits, hey, we're in the Big Twelve now, bro. Like uh, I mean, yeah. So New Mexico, if you want to be, if you want to have a tune-up team every week, yes, you just go to New Mexico, Tulsa, Utah State, and then finally Wyoming. And before you laugh, Wyoming, they make forty-seven million dollars. You know what I mean? Like, a year, yeah, a that's year. right. Yes, yeah, they're, they're one makes, of the higher ones. Yeah. Colorado State makes fifty-six. So there's your, there's your, your four hundred million roughly back if you're able to pull Air Force, Colorado State, Memphis, and Wyoming. You don't have to get necessarily Louisiana, Mexico, Tulsa, and Utah State, but. You would want all those because you want to be competitive. And if you're moving toward 2023 with just 12 teams, hey, dude, Air Force, go undefeated. You're, you, you have, to, especially the Big 12, you're in the playoffs. They went 10-2, two, what, two years ago or something exactly. like that. But, I mean, so from that list, any program that makes less than $45 million a year is not feasible. So unfortunately, we're probably going to have to drop out Louisiana, New Mexico, Tulsa, Utah yeah. State. Okay, so then we're looking at, like you mentioned, Air Force, Colorado State, Memphis, Wyoming, all make $45 million or more, with Air Force actually being the most at right. a little over $60 million a year. Yeah, and we're not even including Fresno State. Like, if they picked up Fresno State, 
which I think should be in the Big 12, or Pac-12. They need to pick. They need to get out of the current conference they're in, Mountain West. They need to go to the, go to the big boys because I, Fresno State can consistently compete in these conferences for sure. Um, so as far as the market and why. So the, the first scenario we have is the 12th team consideration, which is Air Force. Uh, competitiveness would be 119th ranked. Uh, the market in Colorado Springs is 464,000. But the school brings in sixty million. Memphis is a, is a big market, yeah. it really is six hundred fifty one thousand with fifty five million, so just a little shy of what Air Force makes. But as far as like how this makes sense, as far as market value goes, yeah. you could re- Colorado Springs is a college town, Memphis is a college town. You're bringing in more revenue for those two towns, and they don't have as well. They as don't have a, a competing program in the state of Tennessee. Right. This is an opportunity for the Big Twelve to expand to the state of Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think. The, the the obvious selection at that point then is Memphis, is Memphis. Yeah. and so your your four teams are going to be SMU BYU Houston and, and Memphis, Memphis. Yeah. and that would ultimately make the divisions look like this it'll be yeah it'll be BYU in the north Iowa State in the north Kansas Kansas State in the north you keep those together because of the rivalry game Memphis West Virginia uh, in the south uh, Baylor Houston Oklahoma SMU TCU and Texas Tech and you're going to keep TCU and Texas Tech together because and Baylor together. Because uh, the rivalry, uh, as well as, but you're losing Oklahoma, so everybody's like, "What about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State?" That's not a rivalry anymore once they leave. Like it's it just because they're not going to play each other. Um, and then ref like the the revenue difference uh, as far as academics go, they're they're losing a ton of money, losing Oklahoma and Texas. So how they make that up is getting BYU, Houston, SMU, and Memphis, who are. 80th, 176, 66, and 258. So a lot of people don't realize it's very tough to get an SMU. Yeah, you know, private very, school. Yeah. It's very tough to get into BYU. Yeah. You're only adding, and, and the Big 12 is like, well, we want to be academic excellence just like the Pac-12. Right? Well, and Texas was, but Oklahoma has very low yes, academic but, standards. So then you're gaining, if anything, right? Like you're not losing that. It's kind of a push on the academic front, and yeah. to be honest with you, I don't know how much... The Big Twelve cares about the generally the Pac twelve and the Big Ten care a lot more about all, academics. Yeah. But if you're getting a private school SMU, right? You know, well, I that say bolsters a lot. Yeah, exactly. But Memphis is what two hundred fifty eight. Yeah. So, so that that's not going to help you all that much. But you need their revenue and their market share. That's what I'm saying. Market. You were talking about the revenue difference. You lose. I guess it is just kind of shy of four hundred million yeah. from Oklahoma, Texas. But those four programs: BYU, Houston, SMU, Memphis. You're adding back. About 273, 274 million. So you would limit the damage. Yeah. I mean, they're screwed either way yeah. with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, yeah. but you're at least limiting the damage to about 100 million a year, right. uh, as opposed to that almost 400 million a year. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the competitiveness, we talked about like, oh, would these teams be competitive. Yes, they would. BYU absolutely would be competitive. Houston would be competitive. SMU, Memphis. Like I was talking about, Memphis and SU, they're on the rise. They really are. Well, and that's athletic department-wide. That's not just football. Yes, it's not just football. But football, we're talking about it because it's that time of the season, right? Like... But basketball, Houston SMU are pretty solid. I mean, uh, as far as Memphis mm-hmm. goes, and Memphis, Memphis he, I feel like they're always in the, in the final, not Final Four, but they're at least in the Sweet 16. Well, Houston was in the Final Four this year. Yeah, see? so BYU won a couple of games. I think every one of these teams made the tournament this year in basketball. Yeah, they all made the tournament. That's what I'm saying. I well, maybe like, not Memphis. I, I can't like, remember. But. I feel like I always see Memphis. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just another blue team. But the, the, the point is that if the Big 12 wants to stay alive, they need to go after some of these teams if they aren't already. Um, and then, yeah, so any, anything else to add outside of that? 
I think I think that's probably the most likely scenario. If things change on this front, we'll we'll get to you and we'll talk about different scenarios that may take place. But um, it's kind of fun. It's going to be interesting. This alliance. I mean, it's like a handshake deal. I, I do like a lot this uh, new commissioner, George Kliakov, out at out in the Pac-12. Larry Scott was just a complete, uh, uh, you know, empty, hollow vessel. And so I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. But something to keep in mind is both Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, and yeah. George Kliakov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, are in their first and second years. Mm. So are they going to get ruled by uh, uh, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC? Yeah. I You know... We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But having said all that, this is the fan section. Thank you so much. Next week, we're going to actually dive into the week two, week one official like games. We'll give you our predictions. A lot of fun we'll, games. We'll give you our, uh, we have over-unders for them. We'll give you who we think is going to win. And we're going to just move in. Can't wait. Can't wait, man. I'm so excited. So excited. Thank you so much for joining the fan section.